the Lord put something on my heart very recently, uh, and it, but it's, it's been something that has, that has been there for me over the last eight to ten years, and, and that is the state of the church. The state of the church in that the more we see happening in the body of Christ, generally speaking, where the word of God is, is less and less important and the feelings of, of man and the, uh, you know, the uh, fulfilling some of those uh, outward things for man become more important or the need for entertainment becoming more important than the need for solid biblical uh, uh, teaching and all. Uh, it, weighs, it just weighs heavy for, for me. Because there's three things that, uh, that prompted me to come to this particular uh, study this morning. And that is the deception that is taking place already that Jesus warned about in Matthew 24. That in the last days there would be a deception. And that's taking place not just in the world but in, in the church because there's a lacking of vision to see that deception today. The second thing that, that bothers me and, and, and burdens my heart is the lack of discernment, which is directly uh, involving the first point, which is that lack of vision in, uh, as far as deception is concerned, the lack of discernment in the church. And thirdly, there is a lack of desperation. Now, I, don't, I, want, I want you all to understand when I say the lack of desperation, I'm talking about having the, the attitude that Jesus can come at any moment and that we're longing to see him because the word of God has told us. You know, even Jesus himself said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And as much as we sometimes have that desperation for water when we're going through a very dry uh, place in our lives, or the desperation for having sustenance into our lives as food, you know, that, that, that very same desperation is something we should have. You know, they who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. We see that Jesus says. There has to be that kind of desperation for the fact that Jesus is coming. And, and, and so I use that word uh, rather carefully because I want to have on a daily basis a desperation in the sense of saying, Lord, come quickly. That's the very understanding of the word Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because of the things that we see happening in the world today. But one of the reasons that we find ourselves lacking discernment and, and, and lacking the vision to see the deception and even having that, that heart that cries out for, for the Lord to, to appear is because of, of, of the very fact that truth is being attacked today. Truth is being attacked. The Word of God is being attacked today. But especially in the church. And sadly enough, by people in the church. So I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14, as we deal with two pieces of armor. The very, the very first two pieces of armor mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6, dealing with the whole armor of God. If I had time, of course, we'd do all of the pieces of armor. But these are the two most important because they're the two first mentioned. And they deal with truth. And they deal with the heart, the mind and the heart, as you shall see. And so verses 10 through 14 is our reading. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Notice, be strong in the Lord, not be strong in yourself, not be strong in your intellect, in your uh, academia, whatever it is. Don't, be, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
And it's an interesting word, the word wiles there, because it is the, the Greek word methodia. We get the word method from. But half of that word has to do with something that is wicked in the sense of devices, the wicked devices of the enemy. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand and notice strength and standing. Stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And interestingly enough, the word wickedness is actually a plural, as if to say spiritual wickednesses in high places. And wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. Notice not just half of it, but the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand. That's a, that's a word that tells us something's coming at us, and we need to stand, in a sense, to withstand whatever flood, whatever attack, whatever thing is going to head our way. We need to be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So in verse 14, which is our key verse, stand therefore, Paul says, having your loins girt about with truth. That implies the need for a belt, as we shall see and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So, there is a war that faces every Christian, every true believer in Jesus Christ in these last days. And one of the primary targets in this war, if it is the most important target, it is truth. Truth is the primary target in this war. Now, there is another target and it is youth and I, I, I wanted to have time to talk about that but I'm going to do that at another time but our young people are targets today in the same war we'll come back to that later but we have an enemy we ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ we have an enemy and that enemy doesn't love us let's get it into our hearts and into our minds. We have an enemy that doesn't love us. In fact, he hates us with a passion. We have an enemy that cares very little about our feelings. In fact, he cares nothing about our feelings. He cares nothing about our emotions or our pains or our hurts. He despises us immensely. He deceives us at every turn. And he delights in the thought of destroying us forever. The Bible calls him the devil. To know him as the devil is to know him as a slanderer, to know him as a false accuser, in fact, the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, <coughs> excuse me, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, it says, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, taking us back to Genesis 3, which we'll do in just a moment, that old serpent called the devil <coughs> and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were, were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And I say all of this only to remind you that we have a God that loves us personally. He loves us passionately. He loves us purposefully. And he loves us patiently. And aren't you glad about that last one? That he loves us patiently. We have a God that does care a whole lot about our feelings and our emotions, our pains and our hurts. And he cares about our failings. And he cares about our faults. And he truly understands our struggles and our trials. Can we praise the Lord for that? He delights in us. He truly delights in us, being that he created us in his image. And so he knows us better than we know ourselves. He desires the best for us. And so he gave us his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I know we know his name. His name, Yeshua, God is our salvation. God is salvation. Jesus. Amen? Amen? So there are two things then that Jesus said 
that I find to be vitally important for us to understand this portion of our text in Ephesians 6 concerning the armor of God. The first thing that Jesus said not long before he was arrested, and by the way, this becomes actually a uh, review of much of what we've studied in the last few months in the Gospel of John. But the first thing that he said not long before he was arrested and taken to be tried for blasphemy is what he responds to uh, Thomas in John 14, where Thomas uh, said unto the Lord, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And notice what is, you know, what is at the very center of what he says is he is the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So that is significant to our study of the armor of God here in just a moment. The other statement that Jesus made was before Pontius Pilate, something we did just a couple of weeks ago uh, that, that we focused on. And, and, and again, not long before going to the cross. In John chapter 18, where Jesus is before Pontius Pilate. And, 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 and so he answers Pontius Pilate. Uh, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews? But now is my kingdom not from hence. And Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, and, and, and this is what we need to see. Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should, notice, bear witness unto the truth. Bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Everyone who is of the truth. Now that, that brings up a question we should ask each and every day. Am I of the truth? Because everyone that is of the truth heareth his voice. And then Pilate said unto him, what is truth? We'll stop there. What is truth? Now, I mentioned Satan earlier because his first barrage of artillery against the work of God was against truth. And it was that bombardment that got us all in the troubles that we're in today. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And as I mentioned earlier, it takes us back to the book of Genesis. What we're going to discover today as well is that there is this tremendous thread that starts in Genesis and takes us all the way through the book of Revelation and through every other book of the Bible. But here in Genesis chapter 3, where it is describing the fall of man, it begins with the serpent. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said? That little phrase there is, 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 is what is key to the, the, all the problems that we're having in the world today as, as it pertains to a one world religion, a one world government. Uh, as it pertains to the attacks upon Christianity, the attacks upon the Bible, the attacks upon Jesus Christ, the attacks upon the church. Think about it. Did God really say? This is what the devil is really saying. Did God really say? Did he say, you shall not eat every tree of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, we're doing, we don't have time to deal with the, the things that she adds to the, the things that God had said. But the fact of the matter is, she said, oh, well, you know, of this one tree, we're not to eat of it, or, well, or else we'll die. And, and, and the serpent said unto the woman, now notice the next phrase that he gives, you shall not surely die. What he's saying is, that's not the truth. What he's saying is, God is a liar. Did God really say that? Put into doubt. Then he says, God didn't say that. God's a liar. Have you, have you noticed it in our, in our country even today, especially now, when you try to make sense of all of this, 
this political wrangling that's going on between the you know liberals and con conservatives, between the progressives or the socialists and, 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 and those who are trying to hold to you know just some sense of proper government, whatever. But when you see what's going on and you hear all of the news reports and everything, you know, one of the things that you hear said mostly is that's not the truth. That's not the truth. When there's debates going on, what are they saying? In effect, they might as well just say, you're a liar. It just sounds nicer when you say, that's not the truth. But they're really saying, that's a lie. And you're a liar. Well, where did that come from? Right here. And it came from the devil himself. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. God lied to you. He doesn't want you to be like him. Because notice what he goes on to say. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. And you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You should know the rest of the story. They eat of the fruit. And man begins to die. But he died instantly, spiritually. Spiritually died right on that day. And because of that day, we are engaged today in a spiritual battle as believers in Jesus Christ. Because we are called to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We are called upon to put on the whole armor of God, not just bits and pieces or those parts that we like. So that we are able to stand against the wiles the wicked devices, the methodical wicked devices of the enemy, who is the devil. So let me give you a quick description of the dangerous times that we're living in with truth being attacked as it is. One writer predicted it. He said this, he said, we are rapidly heading for a state of intellectual anarchy in which the difference between truth and falsehood will no longer be recognized. It's almost as if truth is not going to matter anymore. Well, think about the philosophies of man over the last thousand years. We could probably go back further, but let's just be conservative and look at a thousand years, over the last thousand years. Well, what about maybe the last 250 years? The philosophical mindset of man today is that of relativity, of, uh, of being relative, that, th that truth is only relative, it is not absolute, there are no absolutes whatsoever. That is what our children, our young people are going to get when they get to college. And if they believe in God, they're going to be attacked for that. If they believe in Jesus Christ, they're going to be attacked even more for that. If they believe in the word of God, they're going to be even attacked more for that. Because you see, that is absolute. The word of God is absolute. We have to believe it is absolute. And that's attacked. A recent poll released these alarming statistics. This is what happens when we put truth aside. But the statistics are that 64% of Americans believe that Christians, Jews, Buddhists, Muslims, and others pray to the same God, even though they use different names for that God. The same number of people agreed with the statement, all religions are equally good. Wow. Are they? 62% of Americans agreed that it does not matter what religious faith you follow because all faiths teach similar lessons about life. Is that true? I know of one religion that teaches its people that if they don't believe like they do, they can kill them. And they'll be blessed for it. They'll be rewarded for it. That's not the same thing that we learn from the Word of God. We're reminded by the Apostle Paul that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, a reminder that we are engaged in spiritual warfare and therefore we need to contend for the faith with spiritual weapons. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, if you look at that 
together with me, where Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And just in case you don't understand, the word carnal, of course, comes from the word carne, which is flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. They are spiritual weapons, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The word imagination is a very interesting word here. We're, we're dealing with something about, you know, God, you know, the power of God, if we stand on the truth of God, cast down all of these imaginations. I, I try real hard not to say, you know, imagine this or imagine that. I, I, don't, I really don't want to do that. I don't want you to imagine anything. I want you to know what the truth of things are. But sometimes you'll hear people go on, oh, just imagine this, imagine that, you know. Then they talk about dream worlds and dream lives and dream this and dreams that. And we have dreams. I tell you what, you, you can have all, all kinds of dreams you want. But it's, it, you know what? If, if it's a really bad dream, it could have been the pizza you ate the night before. It could have been something else. You have something like that? I mean, take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord and just say, here it is, Lord. I, I don't need that in my mind right now because it's distracting me from what is truth. So he casts down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Which means that as long as we stay obedient to the word of God and obedient to God, obedient to Christ, then things will continue to strengthen us as we battle these spiritual entities that we have to deal with. And having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So obedience is a very important thing. And how do we know obedience? By the word of God. What it is that God wants us to do, how he wants us to live, what he wants us to do, what he wants us to say, how he wants us to live. Satan intends to destroy our souls. And according to this passage, as well as other passages in the scriptures, he begins with our minds and then he continues on to our hearts. And so we're going to deal with the first two pieces of armor that are defensive in nature and, pro and protect the two places where truth and righteousness dwell. Because again, when you go through the scriptures, you realize that truth and righteousness are usually put together. The truth of the word of God brings us the understanding of the righteousness that we are to have, but it's not our own righteousness as we shall learn. It is the righteousness that is given to us by God through faith in Christ. But they stay together. It is important for you to see this. So when the Apostle Paul was describing the armor of God, he was talking about more than a simple set of helpful tips. He was talking about the impregnable defenses of Almighty God, the armor of God. Remember, you're putting on the armor of God. Now that should be a thought that we, I mean, you know, if we truly meditate upon that, I mean, that's a pretty heavy thought. It isn't just armor. Y'all remember when David went out to, you know, to take his brother's lunch and, and, and they were looking at, the, everybody was afraid of Goliath, you know, and uh, you know, David, you know, David stood up, he said, man, what are you afraid of, you know? So Saul puts on his armor on, on David and it's too big, you know, I don't need this armor, you know. No, we're not talking about David, uh, Saul's armor, we're not talking about man's armor, we're talking about God's armor. You see the difference? When David stood against Goliath, he stood against Goliath with God's armor. So, it's impregnable. These are keys to withstanding the attacks and the onslaughts of the great dragon of old, Satan the devil. So they are ultimately and infinitely powerful tools available to us as Christians. And he chose to begin describing that set of armor by talking about a belt. 
He could have started with a mighty sword of the Spirit. He could have started with a towering shield of faith. <laughs> but, but a measly old belt? I don't know about you, but I have to buy belts all the time because, you know, they're just like, uh, the little hole gets bigger and then and we think that we're, you know, we're still the same size and we're not, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but this is different. This is very different. Consider first that Paul, when writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, was more than likely chained to a Roman soldier assigned to be the personal guard to watch such a dangerous prisoner day and night. I mean, Paul was a dangerous prisoner because if he had been let loose, he would have probably saved 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 people from the fires of hell and brought them into the wonderful eternity of the presence of God in Christ. Why, that's dangerous, isn't it? But he was chained for the gospel. Says a lot about people today who are chained. But a lot of times we're chained because we put the chains on ourselves. As soon as we set aside the things that God has given us, we set aside the word of God. We just chained ourselves. Paul didn't stop him. He's chained to a Roman guard. Was he? Who's the prisoner? The Roman guard. He's got to hear Paul talk about Jesus. You're not going anywhere, buddy. I got you. So here's Paul. You know, he's, he's chained to this Roman guard. He's, uh, the guard might have become increasingly insecure as Paul is looking at him like an artist, you know, uh, with his subject. He's looking at every piece of that armor. Looking at the belt, looking at the breastplate, looking at the helmet, looking at the shoes, maybe the shield off to the side, and maybe seeing the sword on the table, looking at every piece of armor, and the Holy Spirit begins to put this all together And he focuses first on the belt. Why? Although the belt was more a part of a person's dress or underwear than of his armor, it had, it had an essential purpose. Usually made of leather, the belt was used to, to gather a soldier's garments and to hold his sword. And when a soldier tightened his belt, it meant that he was ready for combat because in the process of tightening, uh, drew up, uh, he drew up his tunic and, and he secured it so that it could not hinder him as he charged into battle. That was the main purpose for the belt, to give him freedom to go into battle without any uh, distraction, without any hindrance. It gave him freedom of movement while engaging in the conflict. Think about how important it is for us to have freedom of movement while engaging in a spiritual warfare. It also gave him a feeling of inner strength because he could feel the tightness of it to make sure that everything was in its place. So it gave him a feeling of inner strength and confidence. Truth is to be the Christian soldier's inner strength. The truth of the word of God is to be the Christian soldier's inner strength. It is to be the Christian soldier's fortitude. It is to be the Christian soldier's confidence. The truth of the word of God. The belt also played a crucial role in, in the effectiveness of a soldier's armor. And by the way, I've got to mention, I, I've talked about a Christian soldier. We're all soldiers. Every one of us who are a believer in Jesus Christ, we're all soldiers. Read what Paul tells Timothy. He uses that example about being a soldier. That's what we are. 
But the bell played this crucial role because it not only held the sword. What is the sword? Spiritually speaking, the word of God. So it held the sword, but secured all the other pieces of the armor. That means that biblical truth holds the that it holds the spiritual armor in place and safeguards against deadly snares. So without it, we would be powerless in battle. Without the belt, we would be powerless. Truth should cleave to us, cling to us, as a belt cleaves to our body. Those who have stood firm as great warriors in and for Christ have been men and women filled with the eternal truth of the Word of God. But some of you may be asking the same question that Pilate asked Jesus. Well, what is truth? Jesus, in praying to the Father before going to his death on the cross, gave a clear and straightforward definition of truth. Again, part of our review of the Gospel of John. John 17, in his high priestly prayer to his Father, he says in verse 17, Sanctify them, speaking of his disciples, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word. God's word is truth. The word of God is the word of truth. It was given by inspiration of God, as Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. And we know this because it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, which in the Greek literally states that it is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Notice righteousness that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So by having the word of God, we are thoroughly furnished. We are thoroughly complete. We have everything that we need, batteries included. His promises, his commands, his word, they are all truth, plain and simple. But you might be asking another question. What does truth have to do with a belt? Well, you must consider that Paul was not so much concerned with our physical loins. Because, it, you know, as he says there in verse 14, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Paul was not so much concerned about the physical loins, the waist area, as it were where the belt would be. He was concerned with our minds, the loins of our minds. Now, we can thank, we can certainly thank the Apostle Peter for giving us an understanding about that because he writes in 1 Peter 1 verse 13, he says, wherefore, so he makes it clear, clear and easy for us, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in girding up or securing the loins of our minds, we are to test all things as the soldier tested and tried his belt to make sure that all was indeed secure. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 21, prove all things. <clears throat> Hold fast that which is good. Prove means to test. Test all things and hold fast that which is good. As Christians, we are to test all things and then hold on only to that which is good, which is truth, discarding all else. Even the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4 would say that we are to test the spirits to see that they are of God because if they're not of God, you don't want to go there. That is part of the problem in the church today is that we're not testing every spirit that speaks as if to say, well, I'm in church, I heard something, so I guess it's got to be the Lord. Really? Test it. And how do we test it? By the truth of the word of God. Let 
The soldiers tested their belt. You ever, you ever had a shoe that you tied and then all of a sudden the, the, the shoelace breaks? Then you have to take that little bit of part of, of your shoe and then you have to take it out and then go through the eyelids or the eye things, you know, the, you, know the, you have like, like, like five sets of, of eye holes, you know, for your shoelace and then all of a sudden you're only using two instead of five. That, that's, that's a terrible feeling. I, I, use, I hate to break shoelaces because it just, it's not as strong, right? So you gotta go out and buy new shoelaces. Or maybe shoes that don't have laces. Hey, that'll work. Now you test, you test all things. We're to be like a group of people known as the Bereans. The Bereans that search the scriptures daily. Paul, uh, mentions them in Acts 17, verse 10, but then he speaks of them in verse 11. And he says, these Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. It's an interesting word, the, the word readiness there. Readiness of mind literally means they, there was readiness and willingness of mind. They were ready and willing. That's the word prothumia, ready and willing. They weren't just ready, they were willing as well. And this is how we need to have a heart for the word of God. We need to be ready and willing to receive God's word. Why? Because it's truth. It's truth. And we search the scriptures whether these things were so. They tested out the apostle Paul. That's good. Paul wanted them to do it. And he called them more noble for doing that. So, <clears throat> as a belt encompasses a waist, and even though Paul is talking about girding up the loins of our minds, as Peter also did, the belt, in this illustration, a belt that encompasses the waist should get us to ask the question, does our conviction to the truth encompass us? Does our conviction to the truth encompass us? It is, is it something that is real and necessary for our lives each and every day that we wake up? Are we convinced of the truth daily? And will we stand on that truth daily? The belt is to remind us of that conviction. Before we move on to the breastplate, let me leave you with this one passage. <clears throat> it's in the book of Proverbs. We're, we're familiar with Proverbs 3, probably verses 5 through 9 or 10. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and so on and so forth. But I want you to go to verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4. Because here in Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4, it says... And notice, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. And by the way, you'll always find mercy and truth together. In, in many cases, you know, mercy and truth are very important together. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. That's as if you take a belt to bind it around you for a reminder. Bind them about thy neck. And then he says, write them upon the tablet, or the, I was going to say the tablet, which is the same thing, the table of your heart. Write them. There's a practice that I have of, of when, when I read a passage of scripture, when I read a, a verse of scripture that just kind of sticks out. You ever had a verse of scripture hit you in the face? Just like, Pow! I write that verse down. I find something to write on, a journal, a pad, notepad, or whatever, and I'll write, and I'll write it. Sometimes I'll write it again and again. I'm writing it because I don't want to forget it. I don't want to forget where it is, why it is, and even when it is. God is saying something through his word. I want to memorize that word. 
because it has something to do with God speaking to my heart about something. I don't know what it is. But it's a practice that I think we should all take and, th and then take it on a daily basis. Write God's word out as God speaks to you. I mean, not, you, you don't have to write chapters if you, you don't want. I mean, you can read them. You might mark them in your Bibles. It's very hard to mark on your computer Bible or <laughs> your phone Bible. So that's why these Bibles are really important because you can write on them and remember things. But the important thing is write them on the tablet of your heart. Sometimes writing it this way is writing it here as well. And then he says, so shall thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. And I've got to hurry here because I only have a little bit of time. Now, since the loins or waist form the pivot on which the whole body turns, determining the body's strength, so is our mind the pivot for our spiritual strength. The mind is our pivot for spiritual strength. Think, think about what Paul says in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, in other words, set apart unto God, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, which pertains to worship. And then verse 2 says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, changed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, again, prove or test what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And Paul, even in Ephesians 4, verses 23 and 24 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness, notice, and true holiness. So from this thought, we move to consider the breastplate. No Roman soldier worth his salt would ever go into battle without his breastplate. It was a sleeveless piece of armor, front and back, that extended from the base of the neck to the upper part of the thighs, covering both the abdomen and what is called the thorax, which is the Greek word, by the way, used for breastplate. It was used to protect the vital organs of the body, especially the heart, from the deadly thrusts of an enemy's short sword in close combat. So what is being protected then by this breastplate of righteousness? Consider that the biblical writers often referred to the various organs of the thorax and abdominal cavity to speak about the deeper parts of our spiritual body, our spiritual life. There's a word in the King James Version that describes the feelings and affections of the heart. Oftentimes, even they, they, they use the word kidneys, which is not the word I'm talking about. But you know, you'll, you'll see that that's what, it's just deeper and deeper uh, is the illustration here. It's describing the feelings and affections of the heart, but more generally, the inward parts. And it is the word reins, R-E-I-N-S. Let me show it to you in Psalm 139, verse 13. In Psalm 139, verse 13, it says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. In the Hebrew, literally, it says, For thou hast acquired and purchased my essential organs. <laughs> thou hast purchased and acquired my essential organs, my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. We see the word also in Proverbs 23, verse 16. Yea, my reins shall rejoice. My essential organs, the, the deepest part of me spiritually, shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. Another word that is used is the word bowels, which speak of the soul's affections. But here's a question that we need to ask. Where will the enemy want to concentrate his efforts to mislead and then destroy us? Where will the enemy want to concentrate his efforts to mislead and then destroy us? 
Would it not be in the very seat of our emotions, of our feelings, of our affections, of our conscience, of our desires, and of our will? You see, our whole being is to be wrapped around with the breastplate of righteousness. Our whole being. But now here's the other question. But is it our righteousness? Is it our righteousness? Paul certainly is not speaking of self-righteousness here since that is the worst form of sin. There are some Christians who clothe themselves in this garment thinking that their character or legalistic behavior and accomplishments will please God and bring his rewards. That self-righteousness only becomes more of a tool for the enemy. Think about what is said in Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, notice here the plural, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And you know that the filthy rag, literally in the Hebrew, is a menstrual cloth? Something that is unclean? Spoken of in the law? All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. That's a pretty graphic way of describing self-righteousness. But righteousness is not something that we generate on our own. The breastplate of righteousness, first and foremost, is God's own righteousness freely given to those who truly believe in Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The breastplate of righteousness, first and foremost, is God's own righteousness freely given to those who truly believe in Jesus Christ. And the Bible describes it not just as God's righteousness, more specifically, it describes it as Christ's righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. Romans 1, verses 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul says, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or Gentile. For, there is, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. From faith to faith, from glory to glory, from grace to grace, it is God's righteousness given to us by his Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The breastplate of righteousness is received and put on through faith as God gives us his righteousness. He clothes us, in other words, through his Son, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That righteousness now becomes a part of us. As Paul describes in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and notice righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that, we, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Now in just the short time I have, let me just say that one day the war we're fighting will be over. And when it is, we have been given a promise Isaiah 32, verse 17 says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. But I can tell you this. In the midst of the insanity of this world today, when you come to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
and you acknowledge him as the Savior and the Redeemer of your soul, and you confess Jesus Christ with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is risen from the dead, the one thing that changes in our life is that we have gone from a, a life of, of war and battle, a life of conflict with God, to a life where God has won the victory in us and we are now at peace. What is the one thing that happens when a war is over? Peace. And we have that peace today. That's why we can come into this place and lift up our voices and sing and give thanks to God for the wondrous things that he's done through his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, done on the cross with his shed blood, his death, his burial, and three days later, his resurrection. Amen? I want to close with 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 5. I just want you to see something that really is our marching orders. You ready? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's happening today. People even in the church are not enduring sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They only want people that will tell them what, what makes them you know, feel good, do good, whatever else. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But here's our marching orders as the soldiers of the cross of Jesus Christ. But watch thou in all things. In other words, be vigilant. Watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Folks, we may have experienced this or not, but if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, people are going to confront you for your faith in Christ. It's being done on a global scale today. But on an individual scale, if you stand for the gospel, if you stand for Christ, you will be attacked. That's just the way it is. That's okay. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Never stop telling people about Jesus until Jesus comes. And then, lastly, make full proof of thy ministry, which means carry out fully with complete assurance the ministry that God has given you. Make full proof of thy ministry. Carry it out fully. Don't be a part-time Christian. You can't be. You're either a believer in Jesus Christ or you're not. Make full proof of your ministry. So, in wrapping it all up, search the scriptures daily. Search the scriptures. Two, stand fast in the truth of God's word, which means stand on the truth. Three, speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4, verses 14 and 15. And lastly, surrender daily to God's truth in your life.